May was kind of a cold month. I spent most of the month in Bend, but also in northern Washington, driving through Portland and Olympia, Tacoma, and Seattle. And it rained the whole time. On June 1st, it was 90 in Bend. And on June 2nd, closer to 95. And I thought, summer has arrived. On June 1st, despite the Deschutes River still being cold from the snow melt and not having much time to warm up, I found a rope swing and jumped in. Greeting summer. Since June 2nd, it's been overcast and cold and raining with thunder and lightning peppering this early summer month. This morning, around 7.50 or so, I was sitting on my front porch drinking an oolong tea and eating some overnight oats, listening to some meditation music and just staring out at the sky. There were some patches of blue and some light rays of sun working their way through the clouds. And I thought to myself, even though for the last 15 days, each morning, I've been heading to a coffee shop to write. Today, I'm gonna get up and out and away from the bustle of it all. Somewhere beautiful, somewhere quiet. And just the thought of that fresh breeze and that quiet stillness to be around air and water and earth and even because the place I plan to go is only accessible through a campground, maybe fire. Right in that exact same moment, it started to pour and the rain came down and I thought, so be it. As I drove the 45 minutes this morning through the early morning Tuesday traffic and the, I don't know, recklessness that comes with a downpour of this magnitude, maybe the caution. I thought about turning around. I certainly didn't bring a raincoat. My car told me it was 60 degrees, so not too bad. 
heading for a caldera up at Palina Peak. I noticed that as the altitude increased, the temperature dropped. And as I crested around 6,500 feet, climbing about 3,000 feet in elevation, temperature gauge in my car dropped from 60 to 55 to 50 to 45 to 40. I'm walking along this lake and the loop or the circumference of the lake is about seven, eight miles. I've been walking for a while and I haven't seen anyone. There are in this moment for the first time in Sometime, tiny little patches of glowing trees on the other shoreline. These small spots where the sun is breaking through. I'm in the clouds up here and the view of the peak and most of the forest is obscured by these heavy hanging dense clouds threatening rain and it's been raining on and off on my drive up here I listened to a podcast from NPR called Invisibilia and it's the final episode of their season and it's called Slow Radio and the inspiration was derived from the country of Norway which has coined a concept and put into practice slow television which is maybe cameras following a train for two hours and broadcasting it with no commercials and no interruption, no plot to speak of, or perhaps 18 hours of salmon fishing uninterrupted. Without the visual element, the slow radio from NPR was a little different. But I just found myself listening. They wrote a, a road. They made audio recordings of the hosts and various guests watching a slow television production of a train trip. And during that 40 minutes, for me as a listener, I just felt a lot of space. There were people talking about what they saw, the train stopping interminably at some red light or some station, a tunnel, a curve in the track, 
red house here, a brown house there. And I tracked some of it, but the rest of the time was time for me. Time for me to drift and get ideas, but also to be soothed by the sound of the train tracks and the inconsequential commentary of the people watching the train. And I think that's what's inspired me to speak a little bit this morning as I walk along this lake and listen for birds and watch for birds, mostly osprey and bald eagles up here. Although this winter, I did see a golden eagle so big that it broke branches as it launched itself off of a nearly dead tree. Pretty close to my head, in fact. Earlier on my walk, and if you noticed a pause there, it was because the sun broke through and it was so warming that I just had to stop and take it in and take in the water. It's, it's chilly up here and the sun is welcome. And as I was walking earlier this morning along this lake shore, I was reading our reading for this week. And so much of it stood out to me. <laughs> I'm not sure how high quality this audio will be, but a bug, buzzy bug of some kind just flew directly into my right ear. And, uh, disrupted my train of thought. You could probably hear the interruption, but maybe not the high-pitched buzz. But I'm sure you can imagine it. One of the things that stood out to me was this idea of letting the weather be the weather. And letting our dispositions be our dispositions. And our experiences be our experiences. The beautiful analogy used in the writing is to not try to make a forest fire into a cozy, warm campfire or cooking fire that heats your stew. And I really like that. I think there was a part of me that wanted in that first moment of breakfast time downpour to turn that rain into a cozy coffee shop day.
And so many times, I want to change the way I'm feeling and not allow enough space to learn what I need to learn from suffering, from joy even. It's interesting because you wouldn't initially think that joy is a state that one would want to change, but what about more? More exhilaration, more excitement, more joy, more elation to seek an increase is in its own way an attempt to change. Like a storm chaser instead of simply allowing the storm to pass over us. And so today as I stand by this rather choppy lakeshore. And as I look out, I do see maybe two, one or two fishing boats. I know that these waves are from, from the wind, the cold wind that doesn't feel, doesn't feel like a balmy 40 to me up this high. Whatever the story is, whatever the justification or rationalization for continuing, as Pema says, and you'll hear soon, to fan the fire, fan the fire of our neuroses, of our obsession, of our fantasy in our thought life. I really, I really strive to inquire within myself what's here now when there isn't a problem to be solved. Rain is not really a problem, nor is being in the clouds devoid of sunshine, nor is 40 degrees, nor are my plans when they don't go according to my vision for them. And the same with relationships, with the people in our lives. It's okay for me to, to want everything to be smooth, all interactions to be copacetic. But when they aren't, and I start to stew and argue with imaginary people in my head or justify the reasons why I'm right, with enough practice, and I say this from having glimpses of 
relief, success, progress, whatever you want to call it. I can catch myself in those moments and simply say, thinking and return and look up and smile and feel the tug on my lips and notice things like right now for the first time since this morning before it started raining I see a patch of blue it might be a sign that there's more blue to come it might not but I'm glad to have seen it and not to only be looking down to just sort of pull my shoulders back and take a deep breath and just be here And so today, because I won't be piping any sounds, can't tell if that's thunder or a jet, there won't be a bell to begin or conclude our session. But after 10 minutes of quiet meditation, or perhaps because I'll be walking you may be interested to try walking meditation where you just keep those eyes open so you don't walk into a tree or trip over a rock or walk into another person. And instead of trying to get anywhere, simply experience the act of placing one foot in front of the other slowly deliberately absorbing each micro transfer of weight and paying attention to the sensations in your body the sounds around you the feelings of cold or hot and when our 10 minutes is up I'll take a deep breath. In lieu of a bell. And I'll begin our reading for the day. Enjoy.
weather, and the Four Noble Truths. When the Buddha first taught, he could have taught anything. He had just waked up completely. His mind was clear, and he experienced no obstacles, just the vastness and goodness of himself and his life. The story goes, however, that it was difficult for him to express his experience. Initially, he decided not to teach because he thought no one would be able to understand what he was talking about. He finally decided that he would go out and he would teach because there were some people who would hear him. The interesting thing is that at first, he didn't talk about the unconditional. He didn't talk about basic goodness, clarity, space, bliss, wonder, or openness. In the first teaching of the Buddha, the teachings on the Four Noble Truths, he talked about suffering. I've always experienced these teachings as a tremendous affirmation that there is no need to resist being fully alive in this world, that we are in fact part of the web. All of life is interconnected. If something lives, it has life force, the quality of which is energy, a sense of spiritedness. Without that, we can't lift our arms or open our mouths or open and shut our eyes. If you have ever been with someone who is dying, you know that at one moment, even though it might be quite weak, there's life force there. And then the next moment, there is none. It's said that when we die, the four elements, earth, air, fire, water, dissolve one by one, each into the other, and finally, just dissolve into space. But while we're living, we share the energy that makes everything, from a blade of grass to an elephant, grow and live and then inevitably wear out and die. This energy, this life force, creates the whole world it's very curious that because we as human beings have consciousness, we are also subject to a little twist where we resist life's energies. I was talking to a man the other day who has severe depression. When he gets depressed, he sits in a chair. He can't move. All he does is worry. He said that all winter long he sat in the chair thinking that he ought to go bring the lawnmower out of the snow. But he just couldn't do it. Now that's not what I mean by sitting still. Sitting still or holding one's seat means not being pulled away from being fully right here, fully acknowledging and experiencing your life energy. So what happens? I can tell you my experience of it. I was sitting doing the technique when this bad feeling came along. Next thing I knew, I was thinking all kinds of things, worrying about something that's going to happen in September, 
worrying about who is going to take care of the minutest little details of something that's going to happen in October. Then I remembered, sitting still in the middle of a fire, or a tornado, or an earthquake, or a tidal wave. Sitting still. This provides the opportunity to experience, once again, the living quality of our life's energy. Earth, air, fire, and water. Why do we resist our energy? Why do we resist the life force that flows through us? The first noble truth says that if you are alive, if you have a heart, if you can love, if you can be compassionate, if you can realize the life energy that makes everything change and move and grow and die, then you won't have any resentment or resistance. The first noble truth says simply that it's part of being human to feel discomfort. We don't even have to call it suffering anymore. We don't even have to call it discomfort. It's simply coming to know the fieriness of fire, the wildness of wind, the turbulence of water, the upheaval of earth, as well as the warmth of fire, the coolness and smoothness of water, the gentleness of the breezes, and the goodness, solidness, and dependability of the earth. Nothing in its essence is one way or the other. The four elements take on different qualities. They're like magicians. Sometimes they manifest in one form and sometimes in another. If we feel that that's a problem, we resist it. The first noble truth recognizes that we also change like the weather. We ebb and flow like the tides. We wax and wane like the moon. We do that, and there's no reason to resist it. If we resist it, the reality and vitality of life becomes misery, a hell. The second noble truth says that this resistance is the fundamental operating mechanism of what we call ego, that resisting life causes suffering. Traditionally, it's said that the cause of suffering is clinging to our narrow view. Another way to say the same thing is that resisting our complete unity with all of life, resisting the fact that we change and flow like the weather, that we have the same energy as all living things, resisting that is what's called ego. Yesterday, I began to be very curious about the experience of resistance. I noticed that I was sitting there with uncomfortable feelings in my heart and my stomach. Dread, you could call it. I began to recognize the opportunity of experiencing the realness of the four elements, feeling what it's like to be weather. Of course, that didn't make the discomfort go away, but it removed the resistance, and somehow the world was there again. When I didn't resist, I could see the world. Then I noticed that I never liked the quality of this particular weather for some reason, and so I resisted it. In doing that, I realized I recreated myself. It's as if when you resist, you dig in your heels. It's as if you're a block of marble and you carve yourself out of it. You make yourself really solid. In my case, worrying about things that are going to happen is very unpleasant. It's an addiction. It's also unpleasant to get drunk again if you're an alcoholic or to have to keep shooting up if you're a drug addict or to keep eating if you have overeating addiction, or whatever it is. All these things are very strange. 
We all know what addiction is. We are primarily addicted to me. Interestingly enough, when the weather changes and the energy simply flows through us, just as it flows through the grass and the trees and the ravens and the bears and the moose and the ocean and the rocks, we discover that we are not solid at all. If we sit still, like the mountain Gampo Lasti in a hurricane, if we don't protect ourselves from the trueness and the vividness and the immediacy and the lack of confirmation of simply being part of life, then we are not this separate being who has to turn things out our way. The third noble truth says that the cessation of suffering is letting go of holding on to ourselves. By cessation, we mean the cessation of hell as opposed to just weather, the cessation of this resistance, this resentment, this feeling of being completely trapped and caught, trying to maintain huge me at any cost. The teachings about recognizing egolessness sound quite abstract, but the path quality of that, the magic instruction that we have all received, the golden key is that part of the meditation technique where you recognize what's happening with you and you say to yourself, thinking. Then you let go of all the talking and the fabrication and the discussion and you're left just sitting with the weather, the quality and the energy of the weather itself. Maybe you still have that quaky feeling or that churning feeling or that exploding feeling or that calm feeling or that dull feeling as if you'd just been buried in the earth. You're left with that. That's the key, come to know that. The only way you can know that is by realizing that you've been talking about it, turning it into worry about next week and next October and the rest of your life. It's as if, curiously enough, instead of sitting still in the middle of the fire, we have developed this self-created device for fanning it, keeping it going. Fan that fire, fan that fire. Well, what about if I don't do this, then that will happen. And if that happens, then this will happen. Maybe I better get rid of such and such and get this and do that. I better tell so-and-so about this. And if I don't tell them that, surely the whole thing is going to fall apart. And then what will happen? Oh, I think I want to die and I want to get out of here. This is horrible. And suddenly you want to jump out of your seat and go screaming out of the room. You've been fanning the fire. But at some point you think, wait a minute thinking. Then you let go and come back to that original fluttering feeling that might be very edgy, but is basically the wind, the fire, the earth, the water. I'm not talking about turning a hurricane into a calm day. I'm talking about realizing hurricane-ness or, if it's a calm day, calmness. I'm not talking about turning a forest fire into a cozy fire in the fireplace or something that's under your cooking pots that heats your stew. I'm saying that when there's a forest fire, don't resist that kind of power. That's you. When it's warm and cozy, don't resist that or nest in it. I'm not saying turn an earthquake into a garden of flowers. When there's an earthquake, let the ground tremble and rip apart. And when it's a rich garden with flowers, let that be also. I'm talking about not resisting, not grasping, not getting caught in hope and in fear, in good and in bad, but actually living completely. 
The essence of the fourth noble truth is the Eightfold Path. Everything we do, our discipline, effort, meditation, livelihood, and every single thing that we do from the moment we're born until the moment we die, we can use to help us to realize our unity and our completeness with all things. We can use our lives, in other words, to wake up to the fact that we're not separate. The energy that causes us to live and be whole and awake and alive is just the energy that creates everything. And we're part of that. We can use our lives to connect with that. Or we can use them to become resentful, alienated, resistant, angry, bitter. As always, it's up to us.